Good morning, everybody. Uh, our presentation carries very nicely on from Miki's because this isn't a chance to get a more close-up look at uh, the school curriculum. For the, uh, since 2009, I've been working on the way that the school curriculum can uh, develop, sorry, uh, can, can develop and help the process of peace building. The school curriculum is defined in my work as everything the child experiences in school, not just the lessons that are planned, but the whole school culture, the after-school activities, and so on. And I worked intensively in northern Uganda, looking very closely at schools that were recovering from a period of intense civil conflict, and then extended the work with some desk work on Cambodia, Northern Ireland, and Rwanda. And then it seemed right to move on to uh, a different country, country which had recently emerged from 25 years of conflict and, and hit on Sri Lanka. And I've been working with my colleague Suran Ladd, who's, who lives in Australia, for the last two years, and we're going to co-present. So a little bit of background of Sri Lanka. Um, a lot of people identify themselves uh, through language or religion, um, sometimes definitely through ethnicity. Uh, some of the major cultural groups are listed here. You may have heard of uh, the Sinhalese, which is the majority, um, as well as uh, the Tamils, which are uh, the largest of the minorities. Um, they are separated generally through religion, language, and uh, also where they are distributed and the demographic, demographic factors uh, as well. Um, so you could sort of put, um, if, if you're looking at a sort of a timeline uh, of the current conflict and its end, uh, it started in, in 1983, but before that there were certain conditions. For example, uh, post-independence, um, there was a policy by the majority uh, Sinhalese government that um, had made the single language the um, only language or the language of instruction. Uh, and overnight, that sort of created lots of uh, economic, social, and political problems for a lot of the other communities. Um, this, coupled with the conflict starting in 1983, um, there was massive displacement, uh, a lot of um, you know, refugees, a lot of people, generations of uh, people left to Western Europe, to Australia, to Canada, Northern America. Uh, so the social fabric of the country did change quite a bit. Uh, a lot of people from, um, were affected, obviously, from uh, economic consequences as well. And in 2009, uh, you, obviously, a lot of people uh, uh, would have heard in the news that um, it was the, sort of the last days of the war, which were really um, a really tragic, bitter end. Uh, both sides were um, kind of responsible for a lot of atrocities, um, and at the moment, uh, the government is under investigation by the UN and there's a, a process that's taking place uh, which uh, they're demanding for accountability. Um, in 2009, the previous um, Rajapaksa government um, sort of, after the winning of the war, went or tended to uh, be more triumphalist and trying to, um, you know, obviously garner support and uh, consolidate his power. Um, however, in 2015, there was a, an election. He actually changed the constitution to uh, run a third term, which was not part of the pr previous constitution. However, the people um, sort of came, rose up, and through the ballot, a peaceful transition was made. 
during that time, there wasn't much appetite for peace building during his time. At the moment, there are some sort of steps at a sort of symbolic policy and structural level that actually um, have made uh, some sort of changes. For example, on a, at a sort of a symbolic um, um, sense, uh, the national anthem, for example, which was originally written in two languages post-independence, uh, was never sung after the first Independence Day in both languages. And last year, sorry, the previous year, um, for the first time since that time, um, during the official uh, celebrations, they did uh, uh, sort of use both um, uh, national anthems. Uh, things like land release, which um, in, um, in the high security zones in the north and east of the country, uh, there's a lot of uh, still military presence and uh, they have uh, appropriated private land, which there's a lot of conflict uh, going on there due to the slow release of uh, uh, of um, you know land to the public. So these are some of the challenges that are prevalent at the moment. However, there are some steps. For example, at a policy level, policy level uh, the trilingual policy, which uh, made it compulsory that all schools, to some degree, uh, learn basic uh, you know singular Tamil and English, so that hopefully communities can come together. Uh, I've been developing a research framework for looking in detail at the way the school curriculum may or may not contribute to positive peace. It's not designed to be set in stone, it is contextual, uh, but the idea is to provide a means for policymakers and academics to examine the school curriculum uh, in its positive and negative aspects. Uh, I, to, to create this, I looked very closely at the huge field of peace education, which has already been mentioned uh, in this session. But I also looked at human rights education and drew on my own background as a history teacher and a teacher of citizenship to look at the field of citizenship and civic education. As a result of these in, uh, studies really, I've, I've come to the conclusion for the Sri Lankan project to use these three terms. Truth-seeking, which is about your recent history, looking at the past and facing up to the past. Social cohesion, which is defined really as the capacity of a, of a society to work productively together. And active citizenship. I just want to say one thing about active citizenship. The word active is to imply uh, the capacity of people to participate and to make use of the structures that exist in their society. Uh, civic education is a very much a passive top-down process in which people are taught the rules, taught their, their system, but they're not necessarily given the skills uh, to participate. Uh, drawing on my own experience in, in education as a pedagogue, uh, those people who are involved in it will know that very commonly we use these three elements of an education, knowledge and understanding, skills and values and attitudes. So applying these pedagogical terms to the, to the framework of uh, truth-seeking, social cohesion and active citizenship, I ended up with uh, nine areas or boxes, I suppose, which would lead to specific questions or specific areas to examine the operation uh, of the school curriculum. Uh, this gave headings for 
uh, the actual empirical work to be done in schools. So it gave uh, headings for interview questions or headings for observation, participant observation or documentary study. I'm not going to make the mistake of reading uh, all these headings and I hope you can read them from where you are. So last uh, autumn, October, November, uh, I spent a week in six different schools in different parts of Sri Lanka, north, south, east, west, uh, and two in the middle. Uh, they covered pretty well all the main identity, language, and ethnic groups of Sri Lanka. So I was in uh, mixed Muslim school, uh, Buddhist girl school, Tamil school, uh, mixed Tamil school in, in uh, Jaffna, and they were not elite private schools, they were government secondary schools, generally not the worst in their area and not necessarily the best. And uh, the method of ensuring that I was covering the whole curriculum was spending time watching mainstream lessons, studying the actual programs of study, looking at the extracurricular programs, and paying a lot of attention to the overall school culture. So I, I can give you the findings which are uh, coming out of this, which are in the process of being put into a paper uh, for a research journal here in Oxford. The, the findings are up there for you to read, and again, I'm not going to read them, but just to say on truth-seeking, this issue of trying to address recent history is a major problematic issue in the school curriculum. It's already been referred to uh, in, in, in the previous talks. It is extremely difficult in the aftermath of a conflict for people to agree on a settled narrative or even to accept that the other side might have a different interpretation of what was going on. And in, met, in the cases that I've looked at, Rwanda, it took quite a long time to get to the stage that James was talking about, you, you, really over 20 years, before Rwanda could settle on the way to deal uh, with, the, with the genocide in their mainstream curriculum. They abolished the teaching of history for about a decade after the genocide. Cambodia seems to be embarking on a policy of trying to forget the past altogether. Uh, I, I, when in Uganda, they barely teach the history of Uganda since 1962 and the British left. And in Northern Ireland, in many schools in Northern Ireland, they barely touch the history of Ireland since 1922. So this is a, this is a problematic area. And I'm not, I'm not suggesting it can be easily solved. Surin's going to report on the next one. So in the second element, uh, when it comes to social cohesion, uh, that's something uh, that I think Sri Lanka at the moment, and I guess even when I was going to school back uh, many years ago, um, that they are sort of, I guess, doing much better. Uh, obviously, the truth-seeking is important. Probably it may be down the line. But um, uh, they have, for example, um, a very strong uh, extracurricular uh, program for sport, for leadership of, of students, which uh, they have a prefect system where, um, you know, uh, students who aspire to be leaders, um, 
uh, encouraged to apply. It's, um, it's merit-based. Uh, they're active with teachers. They get involved in, for example, uh, you know, uh, when students uh, come to school in the morning, they, um, I guess, uh, handling all the traffic arrangements. Uh, if anyone is late uh, into school, they basically deal with all of that for the teachers in terms of just general discipline as well. So, um, in terms of extra extracurricular activities um, and things like student leadership, sport, uh, there's a strong um, evidence that they these this particular, uh, I guess area within the school system is providing um, a lot a lot of um, focus and impetus. There, there is a strong competitive nature because and an examination culture in the country. So that sort of has uh, tr probably trickled down to the second level or the non-formal education, if you can call it that, um, where people or young people are looking to get the leadership qualities, the skills that they need. Um, also, with the introduction of the trilingual policy where you know when um, when each community was separated um, f during the 1956 for example when the language was policy was ch introduced uh, now i believe so students to some extent would be able to uh, engage with the uh, you know with their fellow um, countrymen or and countrywomen as well uh, but we find that during during our research um, especially in the north and uh, north and east to, last, to some extent, that the Tamil community still sort of feel a little bit victimized, whereas the Singhala community, which is the majority, feel they're a little bit more open towards uh, reconciliation and social cohesion. So uh, there is an element of um, a victor and vanquished uh, kind of uh, in, in our findings, but it is, it is encouraging that um, there is a willingness, uh, a tendency towards um, making the country a bit better. Um, so I feel that um, in this space, in this element, that uh, we are, Sri Lanka are doing much, much better. Uh, yeah, we also uh, found out that uh, the government through has introduced uh, with the curriculum um, strong like link school link programs from the north and east and, and, and throughout the country. It's still in its infancy. Uh, there is a question of uh, sustainability in terms of funding and um, things like that, but uh, from what we have seen, um, there's, there's very good evidence to show, to show that uh, many, many of the teachers and students actually enjoy this um, opportunity and the experience to you know, see um, and, and experience uh, people from different communities within their own country. So that's something that is encouraging and um, approximately around two to 3,000 students have taken part in the last three or four years. So this is something that's ongoing and hopefully that will lead to more success uh, in that space. I had the opportunity to see the first day of one of these exchange programs start and it involved about 50 teachers from the East who are Tamil-speaking and Muslims visiting an ordinary rural Buddhist school in the center of the island where they were all Singhala-speaking. So there was a language divide. And it was, you could, it was quite extraordinary to me, really, to see people from different parts of the island really struggling to, to make basic communication, uh, and it revealed the problem of the languages. But there was a huge amount of goodwill and energy. Uh, there was dancing, there was food shared, there were people drawing henna diagrams on the girls' hands. Uh, it, was, it was very encouraging. And teachers I interviewed who'd been on these exchange programs 
were full of, full of energy and enthusiasm, talked about how their fears had been overcome. The problem is, this is quite expensive, and it's not for sure how something, something like this will be sustained over years and years and decades. And I look quite closely at other ways in which the different communities may get to know each other through fiction, through literature, through documentary film, and all this is still very much in its infancy and, and really quite weak. <clears throat> active citizenship. Well, these were the findings uh, so far on, on active uh, citizenship. Uh, the, the Sri Lankan citizenship curriculum is better than the English one, I can tell you. They at least actually spend three years learning what their government does, what the police do, what public services are, and it is compulsory for the whole country for three years. But then it stops, and it's an option for, for exams for a very tiny minority. So between the ages of 14 and 18 in the compulsory school system, they get virtually no citizenship training through, through any formal processes. Uh, again, pretty well all the students had heard of human rights, uh, but uh, uh, at least in, in, in outset. I gave a talk to a school just three days ago to 17-year-olds. Uh, uh, I go into school talking about Amnesty International, and this sixth former had never had a single lesson about human rights in the whole of his uh, school career so far. So, we, you know, let's not uh, kind of boast about what we're, what we're doing in, in Britain, uh, but um, there are, so there are some potential quite positive things. They've erected a very elaborate student parliament system. There's a handbook that gives massive detail about what you should do to set up a student parliament. And only one of the five, six schools that I visited had actually done it more than once. I think it's, it's over-elaborate, but at least there is the desire and the push that young people should get an experience of, of democracy in action through a, through a model within the school, complete with ministries and so on. Um, I was quite it, it noted, notable to me and several schools the very good relationships that these prefects had with their head teachers and the confidence that they had to go to talk to their heads about ideas for school improvement. So this is kind of examples of youth agency uh, within the school. Um, but the, the amount of ordinary, everyday sense of how do the authorities listen to young people, I think there's still uh, a, a lot of development there possible. And finally, uh, during our research um, work, um, we tried to look at what else at the moment is happening uh, in wider society in Sri Lanka, especially from a youth perspective. Um, I guess uh, you'd be learn all these uh, you know, uh, tools and uh, have these skills, values in, in school, but once we leave uh, to, to work in our workplaces, in the university, that's where uh, we believe that uh, you know, peace building happens on a daily basis. So it's how, how these um, interactions would shape people, or young people, once they uh, leave school. Um, so we looked at what is out there in wider society. Um, Sri Lanka obviously is famous for cricket. Um, it's one of, uh, one instrument that 
successfully has been used, uh, especially uh, from a, a bunch of former international cricketers. They've set up a program over the last five years where they get everyone um, to um, have a tournament every year in the, in the north of the country. And um, it's uh, for, for both for men and women, uh, but it's run for schools from all over the country. So the visibility of uh, people and the exchange uh, and the traditions that these sort of uh, events are creating uh, is also doing their part in, a, in, in helping build society, uh, peace building in wider society. Also, a new phenomenon is where uh, younger um, like artists uh, um, have used all the three languages to you know, have, uh, make songs, uh, which are quite popular. Uh, this is something that was unheard of uh, 10, 15 years ago. Uh, so these type of small steps um, are helping break down barriers. Um, another, I guess, uh, another useful uh, form is uh, the print media and electronic media, which uh, has really um, taken off in the last 10 years. Uh, for example, like we spoke about, I spoke about cricket earlier. Um, there are uh, there are cricket matches of traditionally. Uh, been played for over uh, you know 70, 80 years, which people in the South didn't even know of. So using they actually uh, now today telecast these games, these uh, school games or district games, which people know. Okay, there's there's that sport which is our sport being played just you know several hundred miles away. Uh, so it's that kind of visibility, that kind of. Um, uh, exchange that is happening on so many different levels that will help young people because uh, the tools they gain from here from school um, once for example the north and east which is where the conflict was predominantly um, there are job op opportunities which open up which would help them access some of these job opportunities for for example from people from the south or from the north vice versa so it's it's still work in progress uh, we believe that obviously much more can be done uh, in terms of uh, a lot of the structural issues that um, you know probably caused the uh, led to the conditions of the war early uh, at, in its uh, primary stages. But um, in the final assessment, um, there is there is strong evidence that Sri Lanka is on a on a at the moment it's on a constructive trajectory. It can do much more, but uh, we feel that. Um, that there are positive steps being taken. Thank you. Thank you very much.